Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we are going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 21, When the Levee Breaks, written by Sarah Gamble and directed by Robert Singer. Sam is in Demon Detox. Cass is back on Heaven's Most Loyal list, and Dean's helpless and miserable and doing the best he can under the circumstances. It just hurts all around. Hooray! Which is just about right for the penultimate episode of a season. They've all made objectively terrible choices, and now they're about to begin exploring those without having all the facts yet. Dean's aligned with the forces of obedience believing Heaven was ready to support him in killing Lilith and stopping the apocalypse. Sam's aligned with the forces of disobedience, believing that only he was strong and smart enough to get that job done. The truth they still lack is the minor fact that everyone else was trying to start the apocalypse, not stop it. They spent the whole season arguing about the wrong thing, basically. Of course, we won't know that until near the end of the next episode, but that fact gives new horrifying context to all of Sam's withdrawal hallucinations. Or are they deliberately being provided for him from an outside source? I mean, we all saw what Zachariah's powers can do, giving people visions that he wants to see, and next season we'll see Zachariah deliberately, specifically using Mary like he does in this episode, but not really Mary, just his puppet version of Mary. Like we'll see happen to Sam's voicemail message in next week's episode. Are Sam's visions really real? And we will get into that as we go through each one. Like, I mean, are they really like generated by Sam's brain? Are they implanted in him for him to experience? Anyway, we'll talk about that as we go through the episode. Then there's Cass, so thoroughly reset by heaven torture that he readily betrayed Sam and Dean, as well as Anna, handing her over for a reboot of her own, which we won't see the results of until the middle of next season. Poor Anna. She deserved better than this. And Dean. He's got choices in this episode, but really, does he? Does he really have choices? Absolutely none of them are good, and they've all been carefully set up all season long, So he's been shoved into this particular corner, and he gets to choose the method of his own doom, and that's about it. There's no good options for him at this point. So I'm not going to belabor the point. I think this episode can absolutely break all our hearts without a heck of a lot of meta setup. (laughs) Chuck's put an awful lot of effort into doing that throughout season four, setting all of this up to this point. This episode is just our final domino to topple, and it's going to topple hard by the end and feed directly into my always listen to Dean feelings. So (laughs) more people should really listen to Dean. Yes, I know there are a couple notable exceptions when what Dean was saying was not the correct thing to say, but those all come from a place of either abject self-hatred or promises that he made and that he is attempting to keep by making terrible choices. So they definitely don't disprove the rule, but we'll talk about that probably like in season six. (laughs) When more people should have really been listening to Dean. Anyway, 
We've only got a few bonus materials for this episode. We have the CW promo video for it and the posts on my blog, and that's pretty much it. As for interesting trivia, this is only the second episode of the whole series that doesn't contain an on-screen death of any sort. The first one was the monster at the end of this book three episodes ago, so not a lot. I think there's five episodes in the entire series where nobody dies on screen out of 327. (laughs) So that kind of makes it notable in itself right there, at least as a trivia factoid. There's also no music in this episode aside from the soundtrack, which also feels significant, like the levee broke and all the music just drained away too. All that said, let's get to the then segment because it's a doozy, being we're only one episode in front of the season finale. It's got a lot to sum up. We're reminded by Anna that Lilith is attempting to break the 66 seals to free Lucifer from hell and start the apocalypse. We get a flashback all the way to season one, one nine, home, where Mary walks right up to Sam and tells him, I'm sorry. And Sam's like, for what? He doesn't get to uh, hear about what she's sorry for. We're reminded of the revelation that Sam had demon blood dripped in his mouth when he was six months old. Little Sam from after school special telling Dean he doesn't want to be the freak for once. He just wants to be normal. Good luck with that, Sam. Cass telling us that Sam is headed down a dangerous road as Sam's driving, looking like he's about to do murder. And yeah, he kind of wanted to do murder at this point. I think that was when he was driving towards where Dean was being held by the angels, torturing Alistair in on the head of a pin. We hear about the dangerous road he's on with Ruby drinking her blood to increase his powers. Dean telling Sam, if I didn't know you, I would want to hunt you from metamorphosis way back at the beginning of the season again. Sam running out of demon blood in last week's episode and slurping it off his hand as we get intercut with Chuck from the monster at the end of this book, telling Sam, oh, you want to know if I know about the demon blood? You've got to know that's wrong. Snippets of Sam's attempts to get in touch with Ruby, telling her he's all out of blood and he needs more. Then killing the demon last week and draining it to power up to banish the demon from Amelia. His face just completely covered in blood. He looks like a madman. Followed by Sam getting locked in the panic room at Bobby's at the end of last week's episode, which is where the episode ended and where the, this episode begins. Now begins inside the panic room, looking up at the ceiling, at the fan embedded in the ceiling, light shining through it, and it's in the shape of a devil's trap. Then Dean opens the little window in the door and talks to Sam. And Sam's like, this is not funny. Let me out. And Dean's like, no, no, this is, I get it. This isn't your fault. It's not your fault that you lied to me over and over all year long. Using the language of addiction, calling Sam a junkie, saying that he was strung out. Sam argues back that he's not drinking the blood for kicks. He's doing it so he could get strong enough to kill Lilith because that's the only thing that matters. And Dean's like, sure, yeah, but drinking the demon blood makes you about as far from strong as it's possible to get. So weak that he just bought himself a bench warmer seat to the apocalypse. And as Dean goes up the stairs, he can hear Sam screaming, let me out, let me out of here, Dean. And he's getting just angrier and angrier. And Dean's like, 
I, I can't, I can't let him out. I can't let him destroy himself. I can't let him become something that I would be compelled to hunt. In a roundabout way, Dean had actually come around to Sam's abilities and powers, but the fact that he only has them because of the demon blood is the part of it that Dean cannot accept. He's changed himself. He's fundamentally poisoned himself in Dean's mind. The drug metaphor is apt. And then we get the title card. Inside Bobby's panic room, we see Sam sitting on his little cot that they've set up for him, looking like he's going through all the phases of drug withdrawal. He's hallucinating. He's seeing double vision and hearing things and getting the shakes. And he looks bad. He looks rough. He gets up, tries the door again. No success. He doesn't even make it back to the cot before the hallucinations start in earnest. He breathes out cold air. The lights start flickering as if he's about to be visited by a ghost. And remember, this is Bobby's panic room. It's made of salt-coated iron. There is not a ghost getting in the panic room. Sam's bringing his own hallucinations with him. But is it all in Sam's head? Or are some of these being nudged along by angels who want him to have a specific outcome? Because remember, it's Cass later in this episode who's going to open the door and let Sam go. So the angels need him out and about. And we'll hear in next week's episode, spoilers, Zachariah is... This whole thing's spoilers. What am I talking about? Anyway, next week's episode, when Zachariah confesses to the whole thing, he's like, nope, Sam's doing exactly what we want him to. We wound him up and watched him go. It is the angel's agenda for Sam to kill Lilith, to start the apocalypse. They just had to wait for it to happen at the exact right time when 65 other seals had fallen. Now that that's happened, it's time to get Sam geared up for the finish line. So it's in the angel's interest to guide Sam just a little bit towards where they want him to go and to not succumb to this. You know, when the door unlocks, it happens at the exact moment in this episode where Sam is most motivated to go and do what he has to do, even if it kills him. None of these visions that he's having are about doubt. They're about him convincing himself that he's doing the right thing. When the lights start flickering, Sam yells for help. Something's coming. And he turns around terrified because Alistair is standing there. Alistair, who he killed five episodes ago. Is Alistair a ghost? Is Alistair actually still a demon? Or is this all in Sam's mind? Because his mind even provided the lead up, the evidence that would make him feel it was all real. The cold breath, the flickering lights, even if it's impossible to happen inside this room where he is. Alistair's torture table even materializes in the room. It's not just the cot. It's Sam strapped down with a strap over his chin, his arms pinned out to the sides. Did his mental experience of this just jump from one scene to the next? We don't have any context for how any of this is happening. We know this is all inside his head, but how coherent are these visions? We cut out of his vision and into reality from Alistair cutting into him to him just lying on this little camp cot with his arms spread out of his own will. He's the one doing it, screaming in agony. It's his withdrawal symptoms. It's just 
straight up torture at this point. It's a great shot from overhead, too, as we start right side up with Sam and then to show us just how wrong what's happening to him is. The camera rotates as it moves up towards the ceiling and we can see him splayed out like he's on a cross, but upside down within the devil's trap. So vision number one isn't about anything other than torture. There was no point to it. There was no interrogation involved. There was no assessment of Sam as a person involved. It was just pain and fear. We then cut upstairs to Bobby and Dean waiting in Bobby's office. They don't really have anything else to do or explore right now. They're just waiting it out to see if Sam can come back from this. Bobby's pouring some whiskey, and they both look pretty grim listening to Sam scream from downstairs. Dean looks miserable, and Bobby's like, realistic but not very reassuring. And he tells Dean he's not even sure Sam is going to live through it. And if he does, he has no idea how long it's going to take. It's not like they have a pile of past case studies about demon blood drinking. Bobby gets a phone call that surprises him, and we don't hear what it's about because we go back downstairs to Sam, who's coming back to consciousness on the cot, feeling his stomach and shocked that he's not ripped open, because that was all a hallucination. His next little visitor is his young self, who tells him, yes, the answer is yes, you are hallucinating. But this is the version of Sam that wanted to be normal and is angry with adult Sam for having done this to him. But also adult Sam getting to confront his younger self and say, I tried, but there was no escaping it. Young Sam throws back everything Sam ever wanted. Grow up, be normal, be a lawyer, get married. And it's like, why'd you leave? You were so close. If only you didn't run off with Dean. You could have had that. You could have protected Jess and saved her. And Sam's like, I know. If he'd only been there, he could have saved Jess. Yeah, Sam, I sincerely don't think so. But he doesn't quite yet know the depths to which heaven and hell conspired to make his life shit on purpose. So I give him that right now. But his younger self is really pushing those hopes and dreams of the future in very specific ways to make Sam angry. And it's working. And is that just Sam's mind arguing down his younger self, arguing himself out of his own past hopes and dreams? Or is this being specifically delivered to him in a way that is designed to raise his ire? Sam gives him the little lecture, life does not turn out the way you thought it would when you were 14 years old. We were never going to get away. We were never going to get out. Grow up. He can't believe he actually said that to himself, but honestly, Sam's kind of needed to hear that for a while. Sam's younger self disappears, but then reappears behind Sam. He's like, maybe there was no escape, because how can you escape from what was inside you? And young Sam blinks his eyes, and they're yellow, Azazel eyes. Like, you're right to be this angry about it, because you never had a choice. You were always going to turn this way. We were always going to end up here, don't you know? And that is not Sam's story, you know what I mean? That's Chuck's story that just gets put on Sam through various other characters throughout the series. Mostly Lucifer, but really it's Chuck's story for him. 
The call from Rufus that Bobby had gotten earlier turned out to have been Rufus reporting in on some suspicious activity they want to know, know about, specifically the breaking of seals that's happening very, very rapidly, like nothing is standing in the way because they know Sam is almost ready to break that final one. So it doesn't matter trying to stretch it out until Sam can work up the courage to play his role or whatever. He's going to be ready when it breaks. They suspect there aren't that many seals left, and Bobby's like, well, where the hell are your angel pals? Like, aren't they supposed to be stopping this sort of thing from happening? But nope. And Dean is well aware that the angels have no desire to help them do anything. After the previous week, when Cass was like, yeah, I'm not sharing information with you, screw you. I'm loyal to heaven. But they seem to be screwing the pooch on this one. Bobby takes this opportunity to confront Dean about their choices here. He's like, Sam can kill demons. Maybe this isn't the right time to sideline him right before all these seals are breaking. Maybe we should be encouraging him to go out there and hunt down Lilith as quickly as possible. Dean does not like this plan at all. Dean's like, what, so we'll just sacrifice Sam's life and his soul for the greater good, arm him like a nuclear warhead and fire him at Lilith to hopefully stop the apocalypse? And Bobby hates that he is even suggesting it, but it's not like they have any other options here. It's something that's going to come up throughout the series, this whole, I'm going to sacrifice myself so nobly to save the world, but then the other one will save them somehow or stop them from making the sacrifice. And it's like the later we get into the series, Sam and Dean stop sacrificing each other and stop accepting the sacrifices of their loved ones. It's like, One of the big plot points of season 15, we know Dean has completely lost all hope when he's willing to sacrifice Jack to kill Chuck. He's like, nothing else matters. If I'm the last person left alive, I can't live like this. Chuck must die. That's the only way our lives ever have a chance to be normal at all. It's the only way we have out of this story. That's how you know that he's lost it, is when he's like, yeah, okay, Jack's not family though. He has to convince himself of that, or he would do everything in his power to stop Jack from doing that. So here, he hasn't compromised himself to that degree yet. He's not willing to sacrifice Sam for some nebulous shot at stopping the apocalypse. It wouldn't have worked anyways, remember, because killing Lilith starts the apocalypse, it doesn't stop it, which they think it is would do, but they're being manipulated into this. Back down in the panic room... Sam's got the cold sweats just sitting on the floor. He can barely even pull himself up onto the cot, let alone stand. He sees a pitcher of water across the room in a pool of light. Like, oh, if only I could get there, I could have some blessed relief. And he can't even drag himself there. He just looks like a man in a desert seeing an oasis. That's how it's shot and framed. And then he hears his mother's voice. Poor baby. And he looks up and sees Mary standing there in her blood-stained nightgown. And now he doesn't have any trouble at all getting to his feet. Like, we've just skipped inside to the hallucination. She tells him, Sam, you look just awful. And it's kind of funny, Sam looks down at himself and remembers the hallucination. I'm assuming he's remembering the hallucination of Azazel cutting into his own stomach the way Mary's stomach is cut into here. And Sam just laughs. He looks at Mary and he's like, okay, go ahead. You're disappointed. 
He closes his eyes like he can't even barely face this, but he kind of expects it to be coming. And Mary surprises him. She tells him he's doing the right thing. He's not a disappointment. She tells him he's brave and he's not crazy. He's practical and she's proud of him. And then we're right back on the Dean's too weak. He doesn't understand. He could never understand bandwagon that has been driving Sam further into Ruby's arms all season long. It really reeks of Zachariah, especially next season in Dark Side of the Moon. I just looked down at what I'm wearing. I'm wearing a Dark Side of the Moon (laughs) t-shirt. Pink Floyd, not Supernatural, but still, you know, whatever. When they meet Mary in heaven and she's essentially Zachariah's puppet, And the things she's saying are absolutely terrible, but she's also talking about herself in the third person there because there is no illusion to maintain. Zachariah doesn't care what Dean thinks of this puppet version of Mary in heaven, but here she's saying to Sam everything that Sam wants to hear. And what makes him think that his mother would support him destroying himself like this? It could be that this is just some subconscious desire of Sam's manifesting in this hallucination, but it's also saying every right thing to push him into his next plan of action. So for me, there's always been that plausible explanation for all of this, that he's being deliberately delivered these specific hallucinations. She tells them she was raised a hunter. She knows what it means that sometimes you have to make hard decisions to get the job done. Yes, our family is cursed, but you have the power to turn it into a gift. Isn't that what Ruby's been feeding Sam all season long? Is that just Sam projecting what he would hope his mother would say and understand? Is that Sam internally projecting this outward or is it someone projecting these thoughts into Sam, reassuring him in a friendly face of everything that Ruby has been trying to coax him into all season? Mary's like, you're going to use it against them. And Sam's like, for revenge? Because remember, he's been on a revenge mission to kill Lilith since last season. Before Dean ever went to hell, he was on a revenge kick on Lilith. Mary's like, no, for justice, giving Sam something better to cling on to than revenge. If his whole belief is that killing Lilith stops the apocalypse, he seems right here, you know? He can justify that to himself. And this is where Sam's like, but what's inside of me? It's, and Mary answers, it's evil. And Sam's like, well, what if I'm not strong enough to control it? Like, what if it controls me and I can't do what I need to do? And Sam's like, what if Dean is right? And Mary's like, oh, Sam, Dean can never understand how strong you are because Dean is weak. We get the drama drums in the soundtrack. And Sam's like, excuse me? Mary explains that by saying, look what he's done to you. He's terrified. He's locked you in here. You're going to have to go on without him. You're going to have to leave him behind and do what you need to do which is, of course, what the plot has been driving them toward all season long. Separate and conquer. Mary's like, you have to kill Lilith. You have what it takes. And Sam's like, even if it kills me, like he's psyching himself up for this. Then Mary throws the bomb. Make my death mean something. 
She tells Sam that she's counting on him and not to let anything get in his way, not even Dean. And then she's gone. But of everything that could have encouraged him to continue down his path, Mary confirming everything that Sam had been harboring deep down inside himself all season about Dean being weak and Dean never understanding and having the power to do what's necessary and Sam believing he's the only one strong enough and smart enough to do any of that, that he hasn't really wanted to admit out loud. Is this his own brain accepting that, internalizing it to the point where he believes it fully? Or is this an outside force confirming to him, this is the truth, Sam. This is what you need to believe, Sam. It's never, you can stop the apocalypse. It's always, you can kill Lilith. They've had to frame it this way all season long because that's the deception. We wanted you to kill Lilith. Of course we did, because that won't stop the apocalypse. That'll start it. Meanwhile, out in the scrapyard, Dean is pacing, and finally, Cass flaps in and shows up right underneath one of those caged lights that Jerry Wanick and Serge Leducer absolutely love to use, like a halo, but trapped in a metal cage. He's not free to act here. Dean had apparently been praying at the top of his lungs, screaming himself hoarse, for about two and a half hours when Cass finally showed up. And Cass is just like, what do you want? Dean's like, well... For starters, I want to know what happened in Illinois. You were going to tell me something before all that went down. Cass is like, oh, it was nothing of import. Dean argues that he was, quote, ass-reamed in heaven, but it was not of import. And Cass cuts him off again. He's like, Dean, I can't. I'm sorry. And he turns away. It's like every time Cass says something deceitful or manipulative or he has to lie to Dean, he can't look at him. And this is one of those cases. He knows what he was going to tell Dean, and he now knows that heaven does not want Dean to have this information because there's bigger plans afoot. So with his back turned to Dean, he's like, get to the reason you really called me. It's about Sam. Dean asks if Sam can really do it, kill Lilith and stop the apocalypse. And Cass is like, possibly which hedges on having to tell the truth about what killing Lilith will actually do. Cass is like, well, he'd have to take certain steps in increasing the Hellblood regimen. And Cass confirms that drinking that much demon blood would change Sam forever. Most likely, he would become the next creature you feel compelled to kill. So it's just trading one problem for the n another, as far as Dean knows in this moment. And doesn't this harken back to John's warning from the beginning of season two? If you can't save your brother, you're going to have to kill him. There's something inside of him. He could go dark side. Well, hell if this ain't dark side, you know what I mean? Of course, if everything goes according to Evan's plans, Dean's body will be used to kill Sam's body as Michael slaying Lucifer. That's what was foretold. That's what must come to pass, right? But I still don't think Cass has that full story. Because Cass is telling Dean that doesn't have to come to pass. Cass has orders to keep Dean in the fold regardless of what Sam does. And this is him extracting that promise from Dean. In order to save Sam from his fate, when the order comes down, you will obey. Cass's exact words are, stand up and accept your role. 
you are the one who will stop it. Not you're the one who will stop the apocalypse. You're the one who will stop it. And Dean's like, so if I do this, then Sammy doesn't have to? And Cass's only response is, if it gives you comfort to see it that way. Dean's just like, man, you are a huge bag of dicks now. What the hell happened to you? It's Dean's turn to walk off and turn his back on Sam while he considers this, and a train horn plays in the background. Yeah, this is a bad situation. We know. Hell, even Dean knows. But if doing this will save Sam from whatever the hell hell is putting him through here, Dean considers it worth it. He's like, yeah, I came back from hell for a reason. I was tortured for 40 years for a reason. Well, I'm going to stop it. I'm in. And Cass extracts the promise. Do you give yourself over wholly to the service of God and his angels? And Dean closes his eyes like, holy hell, I do not want to give over myself to God and angels or anybody else. But he agrees. He doesn't even open his eyes to agree. He just is like, yeah, exactly. And that's not good enough for Cass. He's like, you have to say it. Like it's a magical spell of binding or something. And that concerns Jean. He turns around and looks at Cass, who's giving him a look back like, I wish I didn't have to do this to you, but I'm following orders now, and this is what I've been ordered to do. They both look broken over this. Dean responds as he walks back over to stand in front of Cass again. Yes, I give myself over wholly to serve God and you guys. And then Cass follows up with, and do you swear to obey his word and his orders as quickly and obediently as you did your own father's? And Dean eventually is like, yes, I swear. Now what? And the look on Cass's face is like, if I could do anything else, I wouldn't put you through this. But here we are, standing a foot apart in a scrapyard late at night. And now you wait and we call on you when it's time. And the most ridiculously unnecessary crane shot in the history of ever zooms out and up away from them like somebody had been standing beside them with the camera and then swooped up into the sky. And there's a fantastic gift that Liz Bob made years ago of the entire sequence. And it's ridiculously long and just hovers in the air above them as Dean and Cass stare at each other from a foot apart. Because poor Cass, he's not choosing this. He's been completely reprogrammed by heaven He's not the same angel that Dean had turned to three episodes ago, even, who'd given him a hint, just so you understand why I can't help. Cass had been willing to give him information that could help him. That's why he got pulled back to heaven. He was getting in the way of their plans. And now he's not. Now he's upholding their plans. He might not know the full picture yet, but I think he's actually still looking for that full picture. And that's because of Dean. Back in the panic room, Sam's still sitting on the floor, but now he's moved even further away from the bed. He's sitting against the wall near the table with the water on it. And on the bed are magazines, gun collector, weekly woodsman. Like, has he been perusing these? Where'd they come from? (laughs) How bored is he? And how much in withdrawal is he? And how much is just like between hallucination sessions? And then he notices something, black veins appearing all over his skin, starting on his hands. He gets up, 
looks in the mirror and sees it's happening to his face too and he starts screaming for help. It's the next morning now though and upstairs Dean and Bobby are listening to Sam scream and Bobby's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you willingly signed up to be the angel's bitch? And Dean's like, well, it's either me sign up with angels or Sam sign on with demons. But while Dean was yelling at Bobby about how much he hates this arrangement and how little he trusts the angels, they notice that Sam has gone suspiciously quiet. They run downstairs and Sam is having some sort of fit on the floor. They're terrified to open the door. What if he's faking it just to overpower us and get past us and get out? Then Sam's body slides across the floor and pins itself against the wall. Dean's like, yeah, he's not faking it. He goes rolling around the side of the wall, flailing all the way. Bobby pulls off his belt and puts it in Sam's mouth for him to bite down on. And they're both holding him down on the floor. And Bobby's like, we're going to have to tie him down for his own safety. And Dean doesn't even respond. He's just looking down in horror at his what's become of his brother. And Bobby's like, do you hear me? Eventually, Sam wakes up, tethered to the cot by his ankles and his wrists. He manages to sit up and Dean's at the foot of his bed. And he says, yeah, we had to. The demon blood was flinging you all over the room. Dean tells him, why did you do this to yourself, Sam? And Sam's like, you know why. Dean's like, yeah, to kill Lilith. The big excuse. What, for revenge? And Sam's like, of course. And Dean's like, revenge for what? Killing me? I'm standing right here. I'm alive. Why is it worth destroying yourself to get revenge for something that doesn't even matter in the bigger picture? And then we see the trick of it. Sam's like, the point is stopping the damn apocalypse. And he's not talking to anybody because Dean's not really there. This is his hallucination of Dean. This is what he expects Dean to tell him. Dean tells him in his hallucination, I'm the one who's supposed to do that. The angels have said, it's me. And then hallucination Dean says, God picked me. We get a cut back to Sam sitting there all alone, tied to the cot, looking like a toddler in this ridiculous position. And that cuts so close to the heart of it for Sam. Dean was the chosen one, not Sam. Sam had to convince himself that Dean was too weak to carry out that chosen duty. That was one of his big motivators to prove that he was just as good, just as worthy as Dean. When all along, Dean doesn't want to be chosen by anybody for anything. He wants to be left the fuck alone. He hates that this is happening to his family. It's Sam who values that prestige of being the one to do the thing, you know? Meanwhile, real actual Dean is sitting upstairs looking absolutely distraught. Bobby asks Dean one more time if they think they're doing the right thing. Dean's like, you saw what the demon blood did to him down there. And Bobby's like, it's not the demon blood killing him. We are. We took the demon blood away from him. And this is what's happening to him. Bobby's convinced that if Sam doesn't get, quote, what he needs soon, he's not going to last much longer. Bobby thinks that the detox is going to kill Sam. And that's Dean's line in the sand that he will not cross. He will not give his brother demon blood. And Bobby's like, if he dies, 
And Dean's like, at least he dies human. You could see he's thought about this. He understands that this may be a potential outcome here. He's not going to actively kill his brother, but he's also not going to let him turn himself into the monster that his father had warned him about almost three years ago. So while Dean is having this crisis upstairs with Bobby, Sam is hallucinating Dean downstairs, saying very different things directly to Sam. This is Sam's perception of Dean, not the reality of Dean. So every time in canon when Sam's like, I know you, man, I know you better than any... No. I mean, I get this is also partly the demon blood and the manipulation that Sam has been through talking, but he, somewhere deep down, actually believes this on some level and assumes that this is the things that Dean would say, have to say to him. It's why he kept it secret for 20 episodes, you know? You don't keep things secret for 20 episodes when you don't truly somewhere in your core believe that this is the reaction that Dean would have had. Dean paces around while Sam's tied down to the cot, unable to move, and it's just arrogant and cocky, and he's like, I know why you drink the blood. It's because you feel strong, like the big bad wolf surrounded by all these little pigs. And this is another one that I think was engineered, just like Dean's message to Sam in next week's episode gets re-engineered into something not at all what it was. The attitude that Dean takes on, it's it's so not Dean-like that I have to wonder if this is just Sam's projection, or if this is really Zachariah messing with him, delivering this information that's supposed to hurt in a very specific way. I don't think Ruby has the power to send visions into the panic room, but I definitely think Zachariah does. Just like we saw him deliver to Chuck in his dream at the end of Monster at the end of this book. Zachariah's like, oh, you saw it, didn't you? I showed you. That's Zachariah's power. He sends these visions, and I think he is sending these visions. Hallucination Dean tells him, yeah, it's, it's a little more than just wanting to feel invincible. It's because your whole life you felt different, not because of your weirdo family, but because you're a monster. And Sam can't take it. He's like, shut up, shut up. And Dean goes on to tell him, you were always a monster, and you only feel right when you're sucking down poison and evil. While Sam is hallucinating this, we cut upstairs to Dean tearfully choking the words out, telling Bobby that he would die for his brother in a second and that he found his line. He won't let his brother turn himself into a monster. So while this Dean is accusing Sam of always having been a monster, real Dean believes that Sam has always at his core been a good human And then it cuts right back downstairs from a Dean who had sort of resolved himself to accepting his line and not crossing it and being okay with that. If he dies, he dies. You know, I would die for him, but I can't let him do this. It cuts right back downstairs to this angry yelling in Sam's face. You're a monster because it's not Dean who believes that about Sam It's Sam who believes it about himself and is having it drilled into his head through this vision. 
the hallucination gets even worse. It tells Sam, I tried so hard to pretend like we were brothers, but you're just one of the filthy things we hunt. You're nothing to me. And poor Sam is lying there just unable to get away because it's happening inside his own head saying, don't say that to me. That's like the worst thing that Dean could say to him. But upstairs, he's saying the opposite to Bobby. But again, that suits the agenda that hell and heaven have. They want Sam to be motivated to not go right to Dean if he escaped. They want him to go fulfill his destiny. And if Dean gets in the way, he can't do that. If Sam isn't absolutely convinced that he needs to avoid Dean, he's never going to make it there. Short of them delivering Sam to the doorstep, you know what I mean? But it has to be, at least on the surface, his choice, even if he was completely manipulated into it. But as Sam cringes away, when he opens his eyes again, Dean's gone. He was just another hallucination. And I hope Sam internalizes that, the fact that that wasn't actually Dean. But I don't think he can right now. This is just traumatic as fuck. I'm sorry, Sam. I'm sorry you had to go through any of this. Later that night, the lights have all shifted. It's clearly nighttime now. Sam is still chained to his cot, but there's a strange noise that wakes him. It's very subtle. It's the little angel ringing noise. And as Sam watches on, shocked, all of his shackles pop off. And he can get up for the first time in hours. And then the door opens. And I think for a second, he thinks he's hallucinating again. But that final hallucination that he'd had, the one that he'd kind of fallen asleep after, that's the one that he needed to drive him over the edge. I guess heaven decided he was ready. And while Sam's suspicious of this development and only cautiously leaving, asking, is anyone here? Wondering who's freed him, he takes advantage and leaves. And we see a shot as Sam goes up the stairs. Through the stairs, Cass is the one who had freed him and then shuts and locks the panic room door. Upstairs, Sam grabs a coat and sees Dean and Bobby both sleeping. Dean's on the couch, Bobby's asleep on his desk, and you kind of got to wonder, did Cass boop them to make sure that they would stay asleep? Because they sure didn't budge, even though, though they're probably both on high alert about Sam. But after Sam leaves, we cut to a waterfront where we see Cass looking really pretty downtrodden about this, but still loyal to heaven. And he has summoned Anna, who appears there. And he even tells her, I wish you hadn't come. Anna's mad at him for having let out Sam Winchester. And she doesn't seem to realize that she's in danger, too. Cass only answers that those were his orders. And Anna's like, Cass, you saw him. He's drinking demon blood. It's so much worse than we thought. How could you do this? Orders or no orders, this was wrong and Cass should know it. He almost can't look at her like he does know it because he doesn't like that this is about to happen to Anna either. All Cass can say to her, and he can't look at her anymore at all. He turns away. He's like, you really shouldn't have come. It was a trap. And he watches as two other angels materialize and drag her back to heaven the same way that he was dragged back to heaven in last week's episode. Only he looks really damn sad about it. And then he goes right back to standing under another one of his caged lights. He's in a trap. He doesn't know what else he can do. But he must be doing the right thing, right? 
Back at the scrapyard, Sam's trying to break into a car to steal, and Bobby comes out with a gun. He's like, come on, Sam, the only place you're going is back inside. And Sam stands up to him, and he's like, no. And it makes you wonder, why didn't Bobby wake up Dean and get him to get Sam? Why isn't Dean there as well? It's just Bobby. Sam just walks closer and closer to Bobby, like, you won't shoot me, Bobby. And Bobby's like, don't test me. And of course he can't shoot Sam. He's like tearing up just thinking about it. Bobby's choked up like, we're trying to help you, Sam. How come you can't see this? Why don't you just do what we're asking you to do? And Sam just grabs the muzzle of the rifle and moves it higher so it's right over his heart. Like daring Bobby, if you think you're going to help me, just kill me right now. But Bobby, of course, can't shoot Sam. And so Sam grabs the rifle and out of Bobby's hands and uses it to knock Bobby out. That's not very nice, Sam. Sam hotwires his car and drives off, leaving Bobby unconscious on the ground. A short while later, Bobby and Dean both go down to check out the panic room to try and figure out how the hell Sam got out. It's locked from the outside. There's no evidence that anyone had broken in or that Sam had broken out. And I think we need to take an aside here because I think I've talked about it before how Sam always has this uncanny ability to get out of anything. If he's tied up, if he's locked up, he tricks his way out. He finagles his way out. He Harry Houdini's his way out of all sorts of circumstances. But we know how he got out of this one. Dean and Bobby don't. But we do. We saw how he got out. It was Cass. And yet, I don't know that anybody ever realizes that it was Cass or that it was the angels in general ordering him to do this. Well, I mean, Anna knows. The other angels know. But it just adds to that lore around Sam being able to escape pretty much anything. Nothing can really hold him. And is that because of cosmic interference? Like, how often is it when Sam slips his bonds of something? Is it just because... Chuck needed him to do that for the story. And I absolutely love that explanation and theory that Sam might be great at getting out of restraints and stuff like that, but is there some element of this needs to happen for the story involved? Obviously there is, but especially here where we are actually shown it blatantly happening for the story. Cass unlocking the door, relocking it, unlocking all of his handcuffs and now Dean and Bobby are even finding the evidence that all the devil's traps in the room are broken like the ones bolted and painted into the floor are broken and it's like what was a demon involved in breaking Sam out like how did a demon even get in this room but that's how thorough Cass was in this job of framing somebody else for this but it's almost like that was just a diversion They both assume that it had to have been Ruby, but Dean really doubts it. And then Bobby points out, you know, he's inspecting broken devil's traps and he's like, yeah, this doesn't make sense to me. How'd she even touch the door? She she never seemed that powerful to me. Like, why is all of this happening? Bobby points out the obvious. It doesn't matter how he got out. It just matters where he's gone now. Dean's like, regardless of where he is, I hope he's with Ruby because killing her is the next thing on my to-do list. Dean doesn't care about Lilith anymore. He doesn't give a shit about any of this apocalypse crap. He just wants to kill Ruby for having done this to Sam. Bobby's like, well, that's fine, but Sam doesn't want to be found, so he's going to be damn near impossible to find. And Dean's like, yeah, we'll see about that. 
Sam may not be great at finding me, but I'm really good at finding him. Just like he followed the trail of evidence that Meg led him on when she was possessing Sam, well, he's good at just following straight up Sam, too. Meanwhile, we cut to Sam sitting alone in one of the fanciest hotel rooms we've ever seen them in. And we'll find out it's the honeymoon suite, because Dean Onet would never think to look for him in such a nice motel room. His mental situation definitely seems to have improved. Like, he's not experiencing intense hallucinations like he was when he was locked in the panic room that were motivating him specifically to go out and take care of this mission. He's still got the withdrawal symptoms, the shakiness, the jitteriness, but he's not incapacitated. Like, he drove all the way here. He stole two cars, one from Bobby's, and then switched it out for another car somewhere else so they couldn't tail him. He's operating on some level of focus here, which adds to my suspicions that he was being actively messed with in the panic room. And all of those hallucinations and symptoms that he was experiencing there were teaching him a lesson. Much the same way Zachariah tried to teach Dean a lesson in It's a Terrible Life. It was a little more focused and not quite as drawn out, but same concept. He's been pushed into what they want him to do. There's a knock on the door, and it's Ruby, who's impressed that he got the honeymoon suite, flattered. Sam's first question to her is, did you bust me out of that room? And she's like, how could I? The whole room's engineered to take me out. Like, no, it wasn't me. I don't care how you got out. The fact that you're out is all that matters, and... Then Sam turns his next question on her, and she's got an answer for everything. He's like, where the hell have you been? And she's like, I got here as quick as I could. And he's like, no, for the last few weeks, where have you been? I've been desperate trying to call you. Her excuse is that she's been deep in it looking for Lilith, and we know that's a lie. She knows exactly where Lilith's going to be. It's like they've got a friggin' appointment, but she's got to lead Sam on this path. She's just the guide, you know? She needs to get Sam ready without telling him what the steps are. But Sam believes her enough and he's desperate enough that he lets it go. Possibly because Ruby shows him sympathy. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were this desperate. I didn't know Dean would do that to you. And Sam doesn't believe that Dean would have done that to him either. He's hurt by that. Ruby takes it one step further, and she's like, it's sad that things have gotten this bad between you two, between you and your brother. Something switches in Sam's brain, and he doesn't respond to that. He just tackles her to the bed. And you think, oh, they're going to get it on. But no, Sam wants her blood. That's all. And Ruby just looks over at him while he's slurping blood out of her arm like, oh, yeah, now he's ready. Dean's putting a few fix-ups on his car before taking off and Bobby comes back letting him know that the police found his stolen car and two other cars were stolen from the town at the same time an old Honda Civic and a flashy white Escalade and Bobby's like he would never take that Escalade that's just a neon sign and Dean's like yeah that's exactly why he took that one So Bobby's staying back to run police databases looking for that Escalade, and Dean is going to head in that direction. Back in the motel room, Sam and Ruby are in bed. Ruby tells him that his appetite's gotten much bigger. And Sam takes that, he's like, is that an insult? Like, what's going on here? And Ruby's like, no, that's good. It just means you're getting stronger. 
It's a good thing because the final seals are breaking and he's got to be strong enough to kill Lilith. And Sam's like, how many are left? Ruby's like, three, two. And Sam is shocked to hear this. You know, he didn't get the update from Rufus about all the seals breaking almost all at once. Ruby presents Sam with a bit of intel that she apparently just got that the final seal can only be broken by Lilith. No other demon can do it. Ruby tells Sam the demon Sunday school story, as she calls it, the origin story of Lilith, the very first demon, who was a human that Lucifer twisted into a demon, basically to spite God for ordering angels to love humans. Sam says, so if I get to Lilith in time, if we can stop her from breaking this seal, Ruby's like, then Lucifer will never break out of his cage if Lilith can't break the final seal. But she's not telling Sam that Sam killing her would be breaking the final seal. Ruby knows this. She's known it all along. But she hasn't said anything to contradict that. I mean, she has, if you don't know the bigger picture. But she hasn't directly lied to Sam about any of it. Misled, misinformed, withheld important information from him, but not directly lied to him. She didn't say, oh, if you can kill Lilith, then you'll save the final seal. No, if we can stop Lilith from breaking the final seal, of course Lucifer won't rise. But Sam doesn't know what breaking the final seal entails and that he's part of that plan. It's very clever and it has been since the very beginning, the very first time we met Ruby. She's always been written this way and she was always intended to play this role. Sam asks if Ruby's found Lilith yet, and Ruby's like, yeah, that bitch can hide. But I did find a member of her entourage, her personal chef. Sam's like, what does she even eat? And Ruby's like, you don't want to know. And then we flash to a newborn unit in a hospital and a couple of nurses. One of them's telling the other about a nurse at a nearby hospital who walked out of the hospital with two babies just had been employed there for 17 years and never done anything out of the ordinary. And all of a sudden she goes and just kidnaps two babies because that's the demon possessing the nurse, stealing the babies for Lilith to eat. Yes, it's gross. Back at Sam's hotel room with Ruby, Sam's like, so this demon nurse and Ruby confirms that she's going to be on the graveyard shift the next night and then follows up with, and you know, I can't give you enough of what you need. Sam's like, yeah, I I know I need more. I just wish he trusted me, you know, meaning Dean. But Sam's still holding out hope that he and Dean can fix things once all of this is over. He thinks he's very close to saving the world here. Meanwhile, Bobby's talking to Dean as Dean's closing in on Sam's location. Bobby found the town where Dean should head to to find Sam. And he reminds Dean that when he finds him, it should be about getting him back rather than pushing him away. Dean's just monosyllabic answering him like, yeah, right. Bobby's like, I'm serious. I know you're angry, but be good to him anyway, because that's the only way they're going to get through to him. Dean does find Sam at his honeymoon suite, sees Sam come out of the room and goes into the room. Ruby's still inside. They fight, and then Sam comes in and breaks it up before Dean can kill her. He should have tried a little harder. This doesn't do anything to stop Dean's anger. Not even Sam saying, Dean, I'm glad you're here. 
Sam wants to talk about it, and Dean's condition is that Ruby be dead first, then they can talk all Sam wants. And this is the moment of truth. This is the moment that all those visions in the panic room prepared Sam to make this choice. He chooses Ruby. He believes truly and 100% that he needs her to stop Lilith. And that is just another line in the sand for Dean. He cannot trust her on this. Sam tells Ruby to get out of there and Ruby takes her chance and leaves. Dean's like, no, she's not going anywhere. Sam just gets between them and lets her go. Sam is like, it's not what you think. And it's like, dude, you keep saying that. You've been saying that all season. And Dean has been trying to get answers out of you. And you've been hiding the truth from Dean because you knew it was wrong on some level the whole time. Everything you've done has been wrong on some level. And you couldn't admit it to yourself, but it still is what kept you from telling Dean the whole truth all this time. And now it's all out there in the open and you're still going to deny it. And that is what's making Dean too angry to be coherent here. He could not maintain his cool in the face of this, of Sam's cool over this. This gives Sam a chance to use Ruby's excuses from when he first met up with her again, that he has to accept them himself in order to be able to pass them off to Dean. It's solidifying those thoughts in his mind, solidifying those beliefs that he had about Dean being weak, that had been driving him all season. Dean's like, if Ruby's not terrible for you, then why'd she leave you strung out for weeks and with not even a word? Why did she do that to you if she's so great? And Sam's like, she was looking for Lilith. Dean's like, that is French for manipulating your ass. That cannot possibly be the truth. And once again, Dean is right about Ruby from the season three finale when he's like, she's probably working for Lilith. Yeah, yeah, she is. And she has been since the beginning. And Sam just comes back with, that's not true, Dean. You know, deny, deny, deny. Dean gets right up in his face and is like, Sam, you're lying to yourself. I just want you to be okay. And you can hear the desperation and the fear in his voice of what his brother is becoming. And Dean tells Sam, you would do the same for me. Sam tells Dean that they've got a lead on a demon close to Lilith. And he is encouraging Dean to come with them, that they can do this together. And Dean's like, that sounds great. Just ditch the demon and I'm all in. I'm happy to join you, but I will not participate if she is coming with us. And Sam's like, I can't. I need her to help me kill Lilith. Sam is so confident now in his ability to kill Lilith. He's like, I know you can't wrap your head around it, but maybe someday you can understand. And Dean turns away from Sam and just puts a hand over his mouth like, oh God, no. No. Sam tells him, I'm the only one who can do this, Dean. And Dean closes his eyes because he does not want to hear that. That's what Sam has deceived himself into believing. And yes, Sam is the only one who can kill Lilith because he's been engineered to do so. But the whole point is they shouldn't be trying to kill Lilith in the first place, but they don't know that yet. Of course, Dean tells Sam, that's what is bothering me here. You're not the one who's going to do this. 
And then Sam busts out with the eye rolling and the, oh, right, I forgot. The angels say it's you. Dean's like, you don't think I can? And Sam comes back with, again, you can't. You're not strong enough. And it's like, Sam, what kind of strength do you think Dean lacks? Demon blood powers? Or is this just the line that you fed yourself all season long in order to go along with this total compromising of your morality, your body, who you are as a person to do this demon blood thing that you've built yourself up on? But Sam now is parroting back the line that Mary gave him in his hallucination. Dean's like, so what about you? Who the hell are you? And Sam's like, I'm being practical, which is what Mary told him when she was proud of him. And and then Sam starts to lose his cool. He's like, I'm just doing what needs to be done. And Dean's like, you're not going to do a single damn thing because he's so angry that Sam is doing this to himself in order to kill us. Dean already knows that if Sam goes through with this, he's going to be the next thing that Dean feels compelled to hunt, according to Cass. And Sam starts getting angry and it starts turning into you're not my dad kind of attitude. Stop bossing me around. And then he gets himself under control and reframes that. It's the same exact attitude, but it sounds lawyered. You know, it's the convincing argument for stop bossing me around. My whole life, I followed you around. I trusted you because you're my brother. Now I just need you to trust me. Dean can't agree to that. He's like, but you don't know what you're doing, Sam. You don't know what you're saying. And Sam's like, yes, I do. And Dean shows his anger a little bit and his heartbreak and hurt. Then that's worse. If Sam knows what he's doing, it's worse. It's not just a drug addiction that Dean can blame it on. It's Sam's choosing to do this to himself. Sam tries to defend himself and Dean's like, it's because it's not something you're doing. It's what you are. It means, and and he almost can't bring himself to say it. And Sam gets incensed at that because, of course, he knows what Dean's going to tell him because the hallucination of Dean yelled it in his face for quite a while down there in the panic room. Except it almost breaks Dean to say it to Sam here. You're a monster. Because this has been his worst fear since the opening episode of season two. That Sam was truly a monster that he would have to kill. That John ordered him to kill if Dean couldn't save him. In so many ways, this is the epitome of Dean's failure to save Sam. He failed to save Sam and had to sell his soul to bring Sam back. And he thought that would have made Sam okay. But then Ruby came along and Sam started drinking her blood and using his demonic powers. And it seems like everything just spiraled and got worse after Dean sacrificed himself, went to hell for 40 years, was tortured, all of that. Sam just lied about it and did whatever the hell he wanted to, even knowing all of that. If, he, if you can't save him, you're going to have to kill him. Well, this is Dean realizing he's reached a point where he can't save Sam. And what's he going to do about it? And not just that he can't save Sam, but that he's already too late. And Sam now feels completely justified in punching Dean and knocking him to the ground. And Dean is also at the end of his rope with Sam. 
He tried to keep his anger down, but he just can't anymore. And he punches Sam back. Isn't this exactly what Chuck wants from them? He wants them both to fight. He wants one to kill the other, just like Michael and Lucifer, right? He wants them to be this angry at one another. He manipulated them completely into these circumstances. Everything from Cass and Zachariah and Uriel, everybody else on Heaven's side, and Ruby and Lilith and everybody on Hell's side, Alistair, everybody had been put in position to make Sam and Dean come to this breaking point. All of Ruby's, I'm sorry things are so bad with your brother, they don't care. Really, in the big picture, this is what they wanted. This is the fight. This is one brother winning and one losing. Every level of the story, this same fight happens. But unlike Chuck and Michael and Lucifer or whatever, they keep getting back up and they keep going to bat for each other and defending each other and protecting each other and resurrecting each other and saving each other. They might fall down these traps every once in a while, but they don't know that bigger picture yet. They don't know what they're fighting against really yet. But once they do, oh boy, every time they level up and earn a new uh, information card, they get better at avoiding these sorts of pitfalls. But for now, yeah, this one's really on Sam. The one who rebelled, the one who was convinced that he was right and everybody else was wrong. Yeah. He eventually gets Dean and tosses him through the room divider screen and Dean's lying on the ground and broken glass and wood shards and Sam stands over him and it's as if he's decided that it's not just enough to walk out and leave Dean behind. Sam looks down at Dean hurt on the ground and his anger just comes pouring out of him and starts strangling Dean. I don't know if he realized what he was doing and stopped, but he gets up and sneers down at Dean. You don't know me. You never did, and you never will. And it's like, oh, Sam, this is so the demon blood talking and not anything that sober Sam would ever say. Dean's lying on the floor, bloodied, injured, and he says to Sam the worst thing he could imagine. The exact words that John said to him the night Sam left for Stanford. If you walk out that door, don't you ever come back. And just like he did at Stanford, that's exactly what Sam does. But it was Dean giving Sam one final chance, one final test, one final proof that maybe he was savable. And Sam, in his eyes right here, proved that he wasn't. There was no remorse, no pity, no reconsideration of anything that he's been poisoning himself into believing all season long. And that breaks Dean. And that's where the episode ends, with Sam and Ruby off to hunt for Lilith's demon nurse chef, and Dean lying broken, bloodied, and in despair over his brother. He'd done everything his whole life to protect Sam, to save Sam. He literally sold his soul for you, Sam, so that he could try and avert what his father believed about Sam. And Sam cannot see. It's like all Dean had to say one time was, then you're a monster, even though it was clearly breaking Dean to have to admit that. 
And Sam's like, yeah, you never knew me. You're just as bad as him. You're just as bad as everybody else who was always mean to me. It's one of the most teenager things that Sam has ever done. And I'm sorry to any young listeners out there, but this is so teenager behavior. This whole, I know I'm right and you're wrong and I just, I know better than, no, honey, honey, no, no, no. (laughs) I mean, literally everything Dean's been saying about Ruby since the beginning is going to get proven out next week's episode and Dean's going to sound, you know, somebody grab all of the red rubber kickballs because Apollo's going to be busy or has been busy all season long. I mean, the only salvage here for Sam is the fact that even Dean believes that Lilith has to die in order to save the seal. That's not something they've been arguing about. It's just been a distraction all season long. So this entire thing is just a manipulation designed to drive them apart exactly in this moment when all the seals are broken except that final one, leaving the pathway wide open for Sam to do exactly what they've been setting him up to do all season long. And Sam thinks it's like the ultimate act of his own free will to do this, when in reality, it's just the ultimate result of massive manipulation. And his belief that he's so much better and stronger and smarter than Dean finally surfacing in a way that he can claim it as something he truly believes instead of hiding it in a dark corner and harboring his wrong beliefs about Dean. So it's very vindicating for Dean fans (laughs) to finally have all of this because all season long, if you watch this without knowing where any of it's leading, Dean looks like an incorrigible asshat all season long to Sam. And it's like, Yeah, we can see what Sam's doing is shady, but he's very troubled about it and emo and broken over it. And it's like he's trying to do the right thing. And finally, he realizes he really is the only one who can kill Lilith. And yes, he is the only one who can kill Lilith. When the revenge plot begins to sound weak after Dean comes back from hell, they come up with other reasons. Justice you know, that Mary hallucination said to Sam. And now it's the desperation of stopping the apocalypse. She has to die to stop the apocalypse, right? Eh, Wrong. She has to die to start it. Nobody ever wanted to stop the apocalypse. Well, none of the people who had the power to do so wanted to stop it. But here it comes because you two have played your roles perfectly. As far as Chuck is concerned, this is the closest he ever got to getting his perfect story. Every piece fell exactly into place. It was the only time in all of canon where that actually happened. So kudos to Chuck on this one because it's never going to happen again. Well, unless you buy into season 15, episode 20, being actual representation of canon and not some sort of Like, Chuck wrote this in a book and it just magically appeared on our TVs because it didn't actually happen in their reality because we were cut off from their reality when Chuck was depowered, which is how I'm choosing to reconcile that episode with anything else because otherwise, I don't know, life would really suck if I believed that. So, anyway, (laughs) this is the only time Chuck got his way. Any hoodle. I mean, it does go on to power Sam and Dean into actually working together more next season and not really going behind each other's backs like they have been all this season. Well, I mean, 
Dean came clean about everything in, at midseason, and the only thing he didn't want to come clean about was the fact that he liked torturing people in hell, because it was better than being tortured himself. And honestly, that's not an unreasonable thing to understand. But Sam continued hiding and lying and subterfuging and refusing to explain and choosing over and over again to keep going back to it and continue lying. So, oh well, poor thing. I mean, at least a little bit of it, I give credit to the power of demon blood to manipulate him, the power of outside forces actively working to make him believe all these horrible things. And it's the story. They were playing their roles, as Cass even told Dean in this episode. Are you ready to play your role? He is for now, but he hates it. He hates every bit of this role. Anyway, next week, the season four finale, where everything makes sense again, because we finally don't have to talk about, well, they're right about this if you know how season four ends, because we will know how season four ends, and we're going to talk about it plainly. Hooray! <laughs> Next week, we'll be talking about Season 4, Episode 22, Lucifer Rising, which is the exact bookend to Lazarus Rising. Dean coming out of hell, now Lucifer coming out of hell. Yeehaw. Until then, you can always find me on Twitter and Tumblr, at MittensMorgul or at SPNGeorge. You can find me on Discord at Mittens, hashtag 4865, or you can email me at MittensMorgul at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. I know another episode of the Winchesters will have dropped before I release this episode, but I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of potential for using that to explain and redefine their backstory, not to change canon as we understand it. Yeah, I dig it. I like what they're doing. The music's great. And it's nice to hear Dean's voice. But I love the characters. I mean, John and Mary, sure, yeah. But Carlos and Lata, man, I I really love them. And Ada Monroe, I'm looking forward to more of her. And Millie Winchester, garage owner and mechanic, yeah, I dig her too. There's a lot to explore there. So if you haven't watched it yet, give it a try. If you like my podcast, you'll probably enjoy it. Anyway, have a good one, everyone. In my notes at this point, I just wrote human shrug emoji because I am the human shrug emoji.